Okay, sanctification. How do we grow in likeness to Christ? How do we grow to Christian maturity? What are the blessings of Christians growing? <clears throat> Here's our schedule. Uh, today we're talking about sanctification. Next week, sanctification part two. Then baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then perseverance of the saints remaining a Christian. Death and the intermediate state. And glorification. We're going on through these items. This... Um, This is part of the series we've been doing, uh, working through systematic theology, part of the series on the order of salvation or the blessings that come to us when we become believers, starting before the foundation of the world with election or God's choice of us, then the gospel call, where we hear the gospel message, regeneration, which as we hear the gospel message, God gives us new spiritual life so that we have the spiritual ability to respond to the gospel call, regeneration. And then we talked about conversion, or faith plus repentance. That is, our response is, repent of sin and trust in Christ for salvation. That's our response to the gospel call, or conversion. Immediately after saving faith comes justification, which has to do with our legal standing, guilty or not guilty before God. In justification... God declares us not guilty, but righteous because of the work of Christ. And then last class, we talked about adoption. Not only is our legal status changed in terms of becoming righteous before God in his sight, legal standing, but also our family status is changed. We become members of God's family. We talked about all the privileges of adoption. Now we come to, now, now what is left out though? We say we've, we've believed. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've become members of God's family. But does anything happen to change us inside? All of this is our status, our relationship. What happens to us internally? Does becoming a Christian have any effect on us? Well, in terms of changing us, changing who we are, we call that process sanctification. And so sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. It's a progressive work. We're going to talk about that. Free from sin and like Christ. Well, like Christ is sinless, but also Christ was completely uh, trusting in God the Father and he was completely committed to obedience to God the Father. So his life was given to walking in the ways that God had set out for him. That is likeness to Christ, and that's what we want to grow in. Now, we can lay out then a number of differences between justification and sanctification. Let me ask you, do all of you have this outline now? Anybody need an outline? Okay, good. Garth is batting a thousand this morning. Uh, Okay, difference between justification and sanctification. Justification has to do with our legal standing. It's God is a judge pronouncing us not guilty. Sanctification has to do with our internal condition. What is the state of our heart? What is the state of our moral, uh, our, our internal moral status? Sometimes people have said the difference between justification and sanctification is like the difference between a judge and a surgeon. The judge declares you righteous. That's something on the outside of you. It has to do with your relationship to God's law. But the surgeon goes inside and changes something in you, fixes something. And sanctification is God working inside to to fix us, to improve us, to change our heart. 
justification is once for all time. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, says Paul in Romans 5.1. But sanctification continues throughout life. God continues working in us and changing us. Justification is entirely God's work. He pronounces us not guilty, but forgiven and righteous because of faith. But sanctification is something in which we cooperate. We strive to grow in holiness. Justification is perfect in this life. It's once for all. God declares us not guilty. But sanctification is not perfect in this life, unless there's somebody here who is perfectly sanctified. Completely, 100% free. No, nobody here. Free from sin, 100%. At least nobody's going to say or think. Okay, so uh, so it's still not perfect in this life. Not even in Wayne and Bev Leaston. <laughs> 50 years in ministry. Now, I'm not aware of anything amiss in their lives. But I was just trying to think, who's an example of a mature, godly believer, Wayne and Bev, but not even perfect in their lives? Um, or any of us. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And then the same in all Christians, justification. We're just, we have the same legal status of righteous before God. But sanctification is greater in some than others, and we make progress through the Christian life. So a lot of differences. Now, before we go into the details and the scriptural teaching on this, I want to say that this chart highlights a way in which we differ from our Roman Catholic friends. Because Roman Catholic doctrine doesn't distinguish justification and sanctification. It mingles them together and views them as one, as one thing. And so, on Roman Catholic theology, you are not really justified or declared forgiven and, and righteous in God's sight. You're not really justified until you're in, entirely perfect internally. And so, in this life, you can never be justified. In fact, after this life on Roman Catholic theology... You aren't perfect, so before you can go to heaven, you go to purgatory, a place of purging or cleansing from further sin, until finally you are absolutely perfect, and then you're allowed to go to heaven. So there's a, there, I, just, I just point that out, that uh, between Roman Catholics and Protestants, there's historically been a, uh, a difference. They combine them, we separate them. Three stages in sanctification. Sanctification has a definite beginning at regeneration. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul is looking back to an event that happened. He calls it a washing or cleansing connected to regeneration. It's beginning at regeneration. There's a beginning and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Well, this idea of washing has to do with cleansing from sin. When a person becomes a believer, immediately there's a change of heart and a desire to do what God wants. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning. He's been born of God. So there's a change in terms of one's conduct. And so that means that there is a little bit of overlap between sanctification and regeneration. That is, if I go back, 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 Back here, I talked about regeneration where God makes us alive so that we have the spiritual ability to believe, respond to the gospel. Well, then these things all happen very close together. And at the point of regeneration, it's not only spiritual life so we can believe, it's not only that God declares us righteous, it's not only we're members of God's family, but sanctification begins at that point too. And I almost, if this is becoming a Christian, then part of sanctification should go up in that list because Part of what goes along with regeneration is an initial change in terms of our heart. 
So, uh, there's some overlap between sanctification and regeneration. Paul says, uh, after listing a bunch of sins, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified. He's looking back at a beginning point where there's some indefinite start to the process. And then Acts 20, 32 I commend you, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So in one sense, we've been sanctified in the past. That refers to the initial beginning of it. What happens then at the beginning of the Christian life? Sanctification involves a definite break from the ruling power and love of sin. And this Romans 6 is a, is a wonderful passage in terms of how we should think of our own selves. Think of our Christian life. Paul says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies and make you obey their passions. Dead to sin, I think that means dead to the ruling power and love of sin. The Bible views unbelievers and us before we were believers as dead in trespasses and sins or enslaved to sin. That is, we are unable to make any significant progress in doing things that please God. Dead dead in in trespasses and sin. But, But after conversion, there's an ability to change. And that is, I'll just... I'll just my example of a of a sin here is going to be a bad temper. Um, or I think of another friend we had in another state who said, um, "You wouldn't believe how filthy my language was before I became a believer." And we had seen we had heard no foul talk out of his mouth. So we knew him as a believer, but he said, "God changed me, changed my heart." So before a person becomes a Christian, the Bible talks to the person as enslaved in sin or trapped in that. But then after we become believers, that ruling power and ruling love of sin is removed so we're able to make progress. Dead to sin and alive to God. Sin will have no dominion over you. It doesn't mean you're not tempted. It doesn't mean you don't feel temptation, but you're able to resist. And that's a wonderful thing. It doesn't mean you become perfect, but it means we're able to change and become better dead to sin, so that I don't think a born-again believer should ever say, I've had a bad temper for 53 years, and I'm going to have a bad temper till the day I die, and you're just going to have to put up with it. Get used to it. That's just me. That's just the way I am. That's saying you're, that's, that's, that's saying you're not dead to sin. It's saying, it, that's saying you're having, sin is having dominion over you. You can't triumph over it. You can't make any progress. That's the opposite of a Christian. Or someone say, I've just, I've just had profanity coming out of my mouth for all my life, and I try to get rid of it. I can't get rid of it, so that's just the way I am. That's, that's admitting defeat. And Romans 6 doesn't let us do that. It says, with regard to any area of disobedience in your life where you know that God is convicting you that there needs to be change, Romans 6 says, you have, by the Holy Spirit working in you, you have this new life where there's power to change. Now, does that happen instantly? No, says Ruth. <laughs> She's thinking about Phil sitting next. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, but it, and we think about ourselves. It doesn't happen instantly, but 
if we think back over five years, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, are you a different person than you were then? Is there is there a deeper love for God's word? Firmer obedience to him? Yes. I mean, I see a number of you saying, yeah, maybe it took some time, but God has changed me. And that's what sanctification is. There's a, a break from the ruling power and love of sin. Therefore, sin can never defeat a Christian. That was, I guess, the point I was making. Then sanctification increases throughout life. So Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That is, don't continue to give yourself into this sinful pattern of life. Stop it. That was, remember Daryl from the pulpit saying one time he wouldn't make a very good counselor because when someone comes to him with some area of of sin, his whole advice is, stop it. (laughs) Next client. (laughs) So, uh, but there is something of that. It just, uh, don't let sin reign. Don't, don't, don't keep it given in this sin. Uh, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You say, Lord, here I am. Please use me and help me to be obedient to you. Uh, so Paul says in Romans 6.19, just as, and this means in the same way, just as you once presented your members as, sin, uh, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So the unbeliever's path of life was more and more uh, deep, digging himself into the hole more and more deeply, more and more lawlessness, just as that was a pattern going down, 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 away from God. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That means going up, 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 in more obedience to God. So it increases throughout life. Here's another verse on increasing throughout life. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are being changed progressively through life. There's an old hymn that goes, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place. That comes from this verse. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love divine, all loves excelling. I think is that word. Is that a good hymn? Here, Philippians 3. Paul, the apostle, you'd think of him as just a great example in the Christian life, but he says, I don't consider that I've made it my own. That is the goal, the goal of the Christian life. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he just he says there's progress continually throughout life. Do you have a chart on your handout? You see that at the bottom it has a non-Christian, and you're kind of wobbling up and down there, but still slaves to sin. And then step one is conversion, where there's a definite break with sin. And there you go up to the category of the chart called growing in holiness. And then there's up and down, up and down, but overall progress through the Christian life until step three, death, and then we attain perfect holiness as we are in the presence of God. But that middle part, number two, the Christian life, is this progress. Paul keeps pressing on toward the goal that God has called him to. Colossians 3.10, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. That's progressive. Being renewed in knowledge. You keep growing in understanding. 12.14, Hebrews 12.14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The Christian life is not 
Trust in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. Be lazy. (laughs) The Christian life is strive. Strive for holiness. Struggle. Work hard. Give effort to growing in holiness. This is a challenge. A great challenge. Then James 1.22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James is challenging all Christians. Uh, Don't just listen to the word on Sunday morning. Do it throughout the week. Number three, that's stage three on that chart. Sanctification is completed at death for our souls and when the Lord returns for our bodies. So, our souls are made perfect at death. Our souls are made perfect at death. That is, no more sin. No more desire for sin. And I don't, I don't think we have any idea how wonderful that's going to feel. Um, do you ever have a cold or allergies and you're just having so much trouble breathing, and all of a sudden it's gone. You say, oh, I forgot how good it feels to breathe. It's that kind of thing. And I think, um, I think when, uh, when we all of a sudden die and go to be with the Lord, we say, oh, I can't believe how good this feels to be free from sin and to be in perfect fellowship with God. And so Hebrews 12:23 talks about people in heaven. It says, they are the spirits of the righteous made perfect who are there in heaven. And... First um, Thessalonians. Oh, and then oh, so our souls are made perfect when we when we die, but our bodies are buried in the ground. So what happens to our bodies? Oh, well, our bodies are made perfect upon the Lord's return. First Thessalonians 5:23. Well, Paul talks about your spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. First. First Corinthians 15:49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam. Adam, we've been like Adam, subject to death. So we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Christ. We'll be like him with the resurrection body that won't die. Okay. So um, anyway, there we are at death. Okay, that's stage three stages of uh, that chart. Now, sanctification is never completed in this life. You say, I know, I'm aware of that. Well, not everybody agrees with that. And there is, out in the evangelical world, there is uh, a teaching of entire sanctification or perfectionism. And our friends in the Church of the Nazarene would hold to that view, and some very conservative Methodist churches would hold to that view. That is the idea that you can reach a point in your life where you're, you're free of sin at least free of known or conscious sin. And it's kind of a it's kind of thought of as reaching sinless perfection. John Wesley talked about it. I don't uh, oh and then and then the argument is that some individuals in the history of the church have said, well if the Bible commands it, then God must give us the ability to obey it. So they say that the command implies the ability to obey the command. And so if Jesus says, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect, then we have the ability to be perfect because God commands it. Therefore, he gives the ability. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Completion or perfection. They say, oh, here doesn't Paul say we're going to be perfect. We'll be cleansed from every defilement of body and spirit. Oh, or here's another one. And I'll tell you, in other translations, it's a little more apparent help to this position. No one who abides in him, 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And actually, uh, a lot of translations just translate that verb uh, as sins. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has ever seen him or known him. And people look at that and say, whoa, man, okay, no sin for the Christian. But my response to that is, is it's simply not, it's simply not taught in Scripture that when God gives a command, he also gives the ability to obey it in every case. It's just not true. In most of these passages, it's the goal of sanctification that is indicated. So, so when Paul says, bringing holiness to completion, he's pointing to the goal, even though we won't get there. In 1 John 3, 6, I think it points to a continuing pattern of sin as characteristic of our lives. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That doesn't mean sin at all. It means a general overall pattern of life. Um, I just said about Ben a few minutes ago, he's a man of integrity. Ben has worked with me for a year and a half. He's been in my home many, many times. I've seen him. And Margaret with Angela, and both of us have known him. I wouldn't, if, 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 uh, if Garth came up to me and said, what do you think of Ben and Angela? I said, well, they keep on sinning. <laughs> you know, they're, they're sinners. That's not the first thing that come to mind. What would come to mind is they're, they're people of integrity. They're people of o- obedience to God. I'm not saying they're perfect, but the characteristic pattern of life, and that should be true for all believers. When it's not, then that's what brings reproach on the church, of course. And people who uh, say they're members of the church and then, then they're just notorious sinners. So it's a continuing pattern, but it doesn't imply perfection. There are many passages in Scripture that teach that no one can be morally perfect in this life. 1 Kings 8.46, Solomon says, There is no one who does not sin. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Or Jesus' pattern of prayer. He teaches us to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We're supposed to pray that every day. That means tomorrow there are probably going to be more things to pray for forgiveness, debts or trespasses about. James, the apostle, says we all stumble in many ways. Even apostles. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the conclusion is, no one can be morally perfect in this life. Now, how are you feeling about that? It's a heart check. Because if you're saying, oh good, then I'm not doing so bad after all. That's not a really good response. That, that, that's saying you're kind of content with who you are and you're looking around saying, well, I'm all the same as everybody else. Hmm. That isn't the point of all this. Uh, it isn't, I don't think the Bible wants us to just be content and, and stop growing. Um, so we have, to, yes, yes, it's true. We're never going to be perfect in this life. But if, if we just focus on that, we can become lazy. Is that making sense? So we've got to couple it with the other truth that we shouldn't say that any sin has enslaved us or defeated us. Two have to be put together. That's a big chunk of material, right down to the diagram there. Should we just stop and talk about that for a few minutes? Questions, comments?
です。ジョイス。Is there any other example, and I'm not debating your point at all, but is there any other example of where God tells us to do something that we're not able to do? Other than be perfect, yeah. yeah. Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. I, hmm? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, I, I just, we're, I, I'm not there. Um, yeah. Um, every command that compares us to God. So be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Well, I'm sort of merciful, <laughs> but I'm not merciful the way God is. Okay,、uh, we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. Well, I, I don't love other people as Christ loved me.、Um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for.、It. I love Margaret, but I know I don't love her the way Christ loved the church. So, so many of those, I think. Are just there. The standard is God's infinite moral perfection, and we just we grow toward it, but we don't get there. Does that help? It's good. It's good choice. Okay. Yeah, Bob. Bob. That's what I was going to say about husbands love their wives as、yeah, Christ、okay. loved the church. Yeah. yeah. I I try, but I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there was some comment worthy of broader broadcast here by George Ann. What? He doesn't love me like as、uh, Christ loved the church. All I have to say is shoot. Oh, <laughs> he's trying though. Okay, over here. Yeah, what's your name?、Uh, Vince Daly. Vince.、Uh, how do you work the verse in that says in Acts that it is God which worketh in you both to will? And to do of his good、oh, pleasure. Oh, good, 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 good. Boy, that's that's great. God God works in you, so that I mean that's just encouraging us that we can't do this on our own. And if we just say, oh, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better, and forget that we've got to depend on God to do it, we'll fall flat on our face. Is that does that help? I think that's really good. I think actually I'm going to come to that a little bit in the outline, but I might not get there this morning. So good to bring it up right now. Thanks. Uh, way in the back row. What's your name here? Patrick. Oh yeah. I recall、uh, reading in James, in his opinion, if man can、uh, control, control his tongue, he's a perfect man, able to keep the rest、oh, of、yeah. the body in check. <laughs> I'm working on that. I barely,、uh, uh, I barely twisted my foot waiting for a bus in front of a Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, well, it didn't hurt that much. It was a surprise that I didn't care for. You don't know. You don't want to know what I said. Yeah. No, I don't.、Uh, <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. About controlling the tongue. Gene up here. Just hold on a second. I really appreciate the diagram on sanctification. I think when we, my wife and I, came to a sense of Jesus as not only Savior but Lord, that it informed the way we、uh, disciplined our children、mm-hmm. to realize that the focus was not on preventing a behavior. Guiding them to higher ground, yeah, and、uh, it really changed the way we interacted. How, Gene? Give an example.、Um, we had、uh, previously 
who sent a child from the table, and that was, you know, they would stew in their own, what did I do wrong? If we did that, we would only let that event or episode be a couple minutes before we would go join them and then talk about what took place and what was the better way, which I think is more the sanctification model of discipline. Good, good, to encourage positive behavior. Right. Good, okay. So we over here, Laverne, and then Eloise. God working his self in us. Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3 says, presentation, present yourself a living sacrifice, then allow the transforming of your mind. And 3 says to measure your worth by the amount of faith you have in Christ Jesus, Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3. And then in James it says, which I think is God's way of transforming our minds, count it all joy to fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And doesn't that kind of tell us that God is working in us to purge out the infection, yep. the sore, Good. to make us more perfect yep. and to have this insight to sanctification? Yep. That's Good. my thoughts. Good, yeah. God continually working. Okay. And then Eloise? I'm often drawn into debate about the term of drawn into debate about the term of Christianity because Christ is the model and this perfect model is usually in actions that, um, well, you've got to be perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, how do you respond to um, just using that? I mean, I can understand that I'm moving towards perfection, but Mm -hmm. the outside world and new age is one of the spaces where it is uses the term Christian and mm-hmm. Christ and this perfection. Yeah. Well, hmm. I, my main responsibility is how I act. I can't stop other people from saying I'm a Christian and then they go off and do strange things. Um, but now get me back to the main... Oh, I'm drawn into debate about Christ likeness and oh. modeling and yeah. and everybody has their own little piece of that definition. Yeah. Oh, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus vote, yes. etc.? Right. What would the Jesus way. drive? Right. How many lights would Jesus yes. have on? Yes, that that <laughs> <laughs> you can go all that direction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, I think in general we should be thankful for the discussion because <clears throat> <clears throat> because overall it's saying we should look to Jesus as an example. But now, how that works out in what we should do daily, um, that's a question of trying to read the Bible wisely and intelligently and interpret rightly. And People do make mistakes in that, and then, of course, we just have to talk about it. I'm not sure I can do much more about that. <clears throat> I think it's okay to ask that question. Um, just, hmm. It's sometimes a hard-to-answer hard question. But it's good when people are doing it. Brian, um, you, you had several verses up earlier uh, highlighting in. Um, I have to speak up a little more. Sorry, uh, Romans chapter six. You had several verses up there. Like the one I think of is uh, it talks about how we were slaves to sin, but yep. now we're slaves to righteousness and yep. so forth. Yep. And you had a lot of similar verses from ja- chapter six, yep. um, showing that contrast before and after Christ within our lives. Yep. Um, but then I noticed that in uh, it seems like a lot of people hold, and perhaps yourself, so uh, I, I'm just curious what you think, 
you have that build up in chapter six and then the early part of chapter <coughs> seven, but then of course we have that the controversial uh, latter half of chapter seven where there's yeah. like a marriage of those two. Yeah. A lot of people uh, okay. seem to hold to. So I didn't know what you thought of that. Um, Brian, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't plan to talk about it. And <laughs> but I'm glad I brought it up too. And I, and I didn't plan to talk about it. I'm not sure quite why, but partly because Romans 7 is really a complicated question of interpretation. And some people think that Romans 7 describes the ordinary Christian life that um, Paul says, <clears throat> let's see, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Um, I, I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my in, 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 inner being, but... In my members is another law, waging, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. I think that describes Paul saying, this is what I would be if the Holy Spirit weren't in me. I don't think it's Paul describing the Christian life. But the, the conservative evangelical commentators are divided about 50-50 on that. And I'll tell you a funny, you know who J.I. Packer is? He's sort of a really well-known theologian in his 80s now. <clears throat> when we were doing the ESV translation, we came to the last verse of Romans 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, have myself, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And there was just a debate about where a comma went or if the word of went. It was just some little nuance. But I said, well, I think if we make this change, it would give a little more support to what I think is the right view. And that is Romans 7 doesn't talk about the Christian life. It talks about Paul giving an example of what he'd be without the Holy Spirit. And J.I. Packer said, that view didn't exist 150 years ago and it won't exist 50 years from now. And good riddance, I say. <laughs> Everybody was silent. And we just went on. <laughs> I just decided this is not worth having an argument about. So, and I just have great respect for him. So, um, well, what do I say out of that? I say that um, if people think this describes a struggle with sin in the Christian life, then I would say we all agree that the Holy Spirit is within us and gives us the power to grow and to triumph. And this just makes the struggle more vivid. And so both sides agree we're not perfect. Both sides agree we should keep on growing. Both sides agree you have power to keep on growing. It's just how you view that, that chapter. And I'm on one side of it. Thanks for bringing it up. Okay, let me, um, let's see. Ooh, 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 let's see. Um, I think what we're going to do, I had planned to do two weeks on this. And there's enough material on the outline to come back. And it's really practical because it has to do with Christian life and how we actually grow. So why don't I take one more question or two. And then we're, Ben, over here. And then, and then I think we're going to um, call it a day and just kind of let us chew on that for the rest of, the, rest of this week. Ben? I just love uh, the discussion of sanctification. It really draws us back to where God has us going in the future. And... Uh, I just think back to my uh, early teen years and uh, 16, 17, and thinking about these kind of things, thinking about God's call to be perfect, 
and then finding myself stumbling so much and trying to understand how that all worked out. And uh, I just think it's important to discuss God's perspective of us as we're in this process of sanctification. Is he always looking down at us and saying, just one step more, you know, you're just not quite there yet, and always in a state of displeasure toward us. Is he there? Uh, And I, I think the answer has to be no, because of justification. He has declared us righteous and views us as righteous in Christ, yet he knows that we're going to stumble in many ways. And um, I don't know, maybe like Luke 13, there's a parable of uh, the, uh, the vineyard dresser going to the fig tree and looking for fruit on the tree. And mm-hmm. in that case, the fruit's not there, and so he says, let's give it more time. I just think if God sees fruit and he is so much for us that he delights as we're growing in Christ, and there's an incredible sense of a father seeing the development of a child and that, that sort of uh, positive uh, and... Uh, and encouraging support that he lends. I think in Jesus, he wants to show us grace through now and on in through eternity, and we yeah. can't even imagine the goodwill that he has toward us in the process that we're going through. So not to minimize the fact that he's offended by our sins and that he wants us to repent and have a heart that's right toward him, but I think he really delights in our fruitfulness and really delights as we grow in Christ. Very helpful, Ben. Very helpful. Thank you. I, what, what's coming to mind is this Romans 5, 2. Through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so, what's the, I mean, if we think, what's God's overall perspective toward me today? I think we should be thinking it's his favor on us. Because of justification, we're declared not guilty. And because he treats us as his children, we're adopted in family. And because there's been a lot of growth in our lives. Can we fall under God's displeasure if we walk in conscious disobedience? Sure. And I don't want to walk under God's displeasure. And so we need to be warned of that. Because as a father, he will discipline us. But that, but I really like what you say, which I think is, don't continually think God is frowning at you all day long. Is that helpful? Okay, that's got to be put in here along with this challenge to growth and holiness. Good. Thank you. Okay, well, now, do you want to have a hymn or not? I think I'd better, I think I'd better wait and save it for next week because I am one minute from when we're supposed to get out. I'm sorry. What's your name again? Rich. Can you... Real quick. If we were perfect, then we wouldn't need a Savior. <laughs> yeah. And perfectionism caused more harm to people yeah. in areas of life. Ah, good. And you just go and research that and you see it. It okay. holds people back, you're yeah. defeated. And I think you have to be very careful here because it leads good. to legalism, judgmentalism, yeah. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. There are mistakes on both sides. Good. All right, here's a great hymn about sanctification. Let's stand and sing this. And we're going to do the chorus after the first verse and after the last verse only. Okay? Our Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this wonderful gift of progress in sanctification that you give to us. And we see and hear the challenge, Lord, but we also just delight in the fact that you enable us to grow. You change us inside. You're in the business of changing who we are so that we would be more like who you created us to be. And we give you thanks for that.
Amen. See you next week.